0: Hi, friend. My name is Amy Joy, and this is the Make Prayer Beautiful podcast. So I had such a beautiful question about what are the boundaries of when you can pray deliverance for someone, especially because of the warning in Matthew chapter 12. And so um, as a reminder, basically, um, verses 43 through 45 say, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Oh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this makes it sound like If you do deliverance on someone who is not ready, then it is highly likely that they are going to end up worse off than before you prayed for them. And so, therefore, probably better not to pray because, I mean, if you think just for regular doctors, the instruction is first to do no harm. If you're going to do harm with your deliverance, my goodness, that's horrible. So, it's interesting, though, when you look at the context of this entire chapter— it's such a beautiful chapter. Oh my goodness. It's so good. And so, you know, it starts off for the first, oh, 13, 14 verses. Um, Jesus establishes that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So um, his disciples are picking grain. The paparazzi are there to double check on them and see what they're doing, how they might be breaking the rules. They're totally breaking the rules. And so, um, Jesus says, no, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And um, then he heals a man on the Sabbath. And so at that point, the Pharisees went out and started to plot how they could kill Jesus. So this is a problem. But then um, Jesus reminds the people that he... (laughs) it's so beautiful this passage from isaiah here is my servant whom i have chosen the one i love in whom i delight i will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations he will not quarrel or cry out no one will hear his voice in the streets a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory in his name the nations will put their hope oh so good so good. So, this is Jesus, right? Like, this is the description of who he is. It's so triumphant. It's so gentle. It's so beautiful. And so, then you have next, there's the, the demon possessed man who comes. He's blind and mute, and Jesus heals him so he could both talk and see. And uh, the Pharisees are like, um, that was just done by Beelzebub. Um, so, like, the prince of demons, not with the power of God. And Jesus is kind of like, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Because if Satan is going and casting out Satan, his house is not going to stand for very long. My goodness! Um, and so he says, "No, if and then, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you." And he asks the question. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man then he can plunder his house and he goes on to say that if you're not with me you're against me if you do not gather you scatter and um that you can recognize a tree by its fruit if the tree is bad then the fruit will be bad and a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and so It's this really like overall we've had this really triumphant, beautiful passage about who Jesus is and about the ministry that he offers and just the goodness that he walks in. And uh, and so now we get to kind of the the crux of the matter, this this passage that is um I think pretty confusing. Because then the Pharisees and the teachers come to him and say, Teacher, we want a sign from you. And he says a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. And so again, <laughs> do you see what effrontery this is? Like here is Jesus. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. And here come the Pharisees and they're like, Um, could you give us a sign that you actually are who you say you are? And there's a part where you're like, Could you open your eyes and look and see what is already happening around you? Like Why does that not count? And so Jesus is like, well, (laughs) what's about to happen is not going to be fun, right? Like when Jonah went and preached to the people of Nineveh and he didn't even want to, right? He wasn't like a compassionate preacher. And yet they repented. And he was like, one greater than Jonah is standing here among you and you're not repenting? This is going to go badly for you. Like, do you see what's coming in 70 AD? Oh, it's really upsetting, this whole passage. And uh, and so then he also talks about the Queen of the South. You know, the Queen of Sheba had heard reports about the wisdom of Solomon and she wanted to see, like, could it possibly be true And yet, Jesus is like, one greater than Solomon is standing here. And so, like, the Queen of the South is going to judge you. Do you see this? And so I think about this because I feel like maybe this passage, um, right, because it's right after that, right, that the, the Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. And so then this is the, then we loop back now to where we started, which is when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. And, you know, I feel like this is maybe what the entire thing is about. It's about the Pharisees asking for a sign. It's about the Pharisees not believing what Jesus says. And so there's a part where what they are speaking is actually impure, um, th- at least this is how I would interpret this passage. I will also say, I haven't done any long-term research on this. I have never heard a sermon on this as far as I know. Like this is really just as I was praying through this passage, like what is it that Jesus is saying in context? And so here you have the Pharisees. They're asking this disgusting, ugly question. And so as it goes out, it's not going to find a place to stay. It's just like a barren question. And yet um, so then it's like, okay, well, let me go back to, uh, like, I haven't found the answer I'm looking for. I haven't found a place to rest. Let me go back to where I came to begin with, but let me also bring even more yuckiness. And, uh, and then the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. And if you think about it, <laughs> I mean, they start off and they're like, well, we're pretty sure Jesus isn't binding the de- the demons from the power of God, but probably from the power of Satan. And then they're like, actually, let's go and kill him. That seems like a better option. And then after he rises from the dead and they could repent, instead it's like, no, you know what? Now let's actually put to death all of his followers too. That will be a good option. And like, it's like they go from bad to worse. And so I don't think that what Jesus is saying in... Matthew 12, there in that section, is don't pray deliverance prayers for people because they are going to become more evil if you do it wrong. <laughs> there is, um, I'm I'm willing to be shown that I'm wrong in this case, but. Nothing in the previous part of that chapter would indicate that at all. What you see is Jesus who has deep compassion that, I mean, it's actually one of my very favorite descriptions of Jesus because, you know, it means like if there's a smoking match, Jesus doesn't snuff it out. Like he's there to comfort this match, you know, like nurse it along back to flame. This is how gracious and gentle he is. And so I think this idea of like, Well, but you know, if somebody has a demon and you cast it out and you don't do it quite right, um, they're soon going to have even more. That's going to be a problem. So I don't think we should ever approach prayer from a position of fear. I mean, this is also, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So it is, I would say it's possible that for someone like Judas, who presumably at one point as he was following Jesus had um, healing and experienced Um, communion with the, with the savior. But then, um, because of greed and because he was a robber, um, that he decided to not pursue the things of the Lord anymore, but instead become the betrayer. I mean, it would not surprise me if on some level, the, the evil that had gone out from him, his end stage actually was worse than in the beginning. So I, We'll just say, I I think that that maybe does happen, but I also don't think that was the fault of whoever would have prayed over Judas. <laughs> that was Judas choosing to partner with darkness. And so, yeah, I, I would be super happy to continue to pursue this conversation. If you have additional questions or thoughts, I welcome them. You can always email me, amy at workplaceprayer.com, But I think that's where I'm gonna leave it for now. So Lord Jesus, I ask that we would walk with you uprightly, that we would not ever be in fear, that we would rightly divide your word, that we would treasure who you are, Jesus, and the ministry that you offer. I thank you and praise you in your precious and holy name. Amen.